0: And we hear over and over again, I'm never going back. I can't believe it took me this long to switch.
1: Hello, this is the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Earlier this month, Chattanooga's EPB Fiber Optics announced that it was making 10 gigabit connectivity available to both residential and business customers. In episode 175, we focus on Chattanooga. Not only to talk tech with Director of Fiber Technology Coleman Keen, but also to discuss their new fibervention marketing campaign with Beth Johnson, Marketing Manager. Chris also visits with Dana Bailey, VP of Corporate Communications, who's been a guest on the podcast before. Dana talks about the many ways the network has contributed to the community. You should know there is some detailed technical talk around the 10-gig discussion about two-thirds of the way through the interview. Here are Chris and Beth Johnson, Marketing Manager, Dana Bailey, VP of Corporate Communications, and Coleman Keane, Director of Fiber Technology from Chattanooga's EPB Fiber Optics.
2: Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I'm speaking with three folks out of Chattanooga, Tennessee with EPB Fiber. Beth Johnson, the Marketing Manager for EPB, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, Chris, thanks for having me.
2: Uh, We have Coleman Keen, Director of Fiber Technology. Hi, Chris. And Dana Bailey, VP Corporate Communications. Hi, Chris. Well, thank you each for coming. There's so much news coming out of Chattanooga, and and frankly, we could probably check in with you once a month, but um, we try to spread the wealth around a little bit in terms of casting the spotlight on others. Uh, So we're going to try and pack a lot of things into our short call today. Um, I think I wanted to start by um, noting that uh, you believe you've surpassed 75,000 subscribers. And Dana, can you tell us uh, how you're doing in terms of the subscriber counts?
3: yeah we've uh, we're at about seventy six thousand plus um, homes and businesses that we're serving with one or more e p b fiber optic services now um, most of those folks subscribe to two or more services um, and we're finding that our customers really all over the market are embracing the product line uh, we serve a very uh, densely populated downtown area and then a very rural uh, county areas, and we're seeing uh, adoption rates all over the service territory
2: and that means if I understand correctly um, you have a market with about you know um, one hundred and sixty hundred seventy thousand potential subscribers so uh, you have a t and t and Comcast and are competing with you three providers you have about half the market so that means you're doing really well I'm guessing
3: we're pretty pleased with the results and 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 that our customers, uh, the market as a whole, has embraced this product set
0: like they have.
2: And one of the other things that we've talked about in the past, I believe, was that um, the number of subscribers that you would need to make this work financially. You're you're well beyond that at this point.
3: We surpassed that some time back, yes. So at this point, we feel very confident and have felt confident for the last several years that we're um, well on our way to making this business plan work even even better than we thought it would in the first place.
2: And I, I saw that um, that's benefiting some of the local governments as well. I think I saw a press release that, that EPB had uh, contributed uh, $19 million to both Chattanooga and then other of the nearby local governments that you serve. Um, and then in addition, I think all your, your electric rate customers are probably benefiting from the success of the, the fiber plant.
3: It's a common piece of misunderstanding that EPB doesn't pay taxes when, in fact, we are the largest taxpayer in the city of Chattanooga and in Hamilton County. And uh, we, we don't pay taxes exactly. We pay what's called in lieu of taxes. And uh, and we're pretty proud of the taxes we pay. We want to make a contribution to this community. And uh, we don't mind writing that check every year at all. And the benefit to the electric system is absolutely, it's, it's, it's actually twofold. Um, we first built the fiber network uh, to upgrade and modernize our electric power system. So the fiber network is making our power grid even more reliable than before. It's reducing the duration of power interruptions by about 50 to 60% on average. So that's a great benefit to all of our electric power customers. And on the other side of the coin, It's also providing a financial benefit to our electric power customers. So since the fiber network itself is actually an asset of our electric power business, every time uh, one of our customers signs up with EPB Fiber Optics, they pay part of their bill essentially back to the electric company um, for the purpose of leasing, for lack of a better term, that fiber asset. So... Uh, not only is the fiber network benefiting our customers on the electric power side from the reliability standpoint, but it's also helping us keep from having to have um, rate increases as often as we would have had to before.
2: Well, I think it's really impressive what you've done, although um, most of the things we've discussed, I think, are um, kind of, um, you know, I think policy geek issues, the kinds of things that, that we care about, um, but may not necessarily get the blood flowing of ordinary people. Um, it, but there's this campaign that you started, and, and for this we're going to bring in Beth Johnson, um, the Fibervention Campaign, which I loved from the first video I saw. I, I think we we just ran the, le- the next two videos, so you've done at least three of them. So far, and it really shows you know people having an emotional reaction and being so excited about getting this service. Um, Beth, tell us a little bit about the Fibervention campaign for people who aren't familiar with it.
0: We're we're very blessed here in in our service territory to have people who um, give us very good recommendation and word of mouth. Here in the creative department, we're brainstorming ways to you know kind of come up with a referral campaign on steroids um, to t- to leverage these people who continually tell us, you know, I'm, I want my mom and dad to switch. I, I'm trying to get my husband to switch. And, you know, what can you do to help me get them to switch? So we came up with an intervention of sorts, and we've uh, termed it the Fibervention, where we set up a website. Someone, if you knew someone suffering with lackluster service, that you could nominate that friend or family member. And I think in total we had about um, 175 uh, referrals, and of those we had to narrow it down to four. And uh, we, we surprised these people. We showed up at their doorstep um, after a little bit of prequalification. We showed up at their doorstep. We asked them if they were ready to make the switch. We had the nominator there with us. And if they said yes, we installed right then and there um, and awarded them with three months of free service, um, uh, a Netflix subscription, some iTunes uh, gifts. And, you know, we we wanted to make sure that they had a great first experience with us. And, of course, we filmed the whole thing, turned it into a mini reality series that is uh, currently, you can see it at epbfibervention.com.
2: And how has the response been? I, I'm curious how many people have have been virally spreading it and, and that sort of thing.
0: Uh, I don't have the reach numbers in front of me. Um, I can tell you that since we started airing the spots um, in July that we've seen about a 7% spike in sales overall. And we, we've recently launched phase two of Fibervention, which is a uh, more standard refer-a-friend campaign. Where you can, again, go to the website, uh, refer somebody, and if they sign up, you each get $50 off your first bill. We've had over 145 recommendations so far, and a third of those have converted.
2: I guess I'm curious. I would expect that as you get more and more saturated, as as more and more people are switching over and and very few people are switching away, you have to be more and more creative to reach the next swath of people. Um is that is that sort of what this comes from that that need to get to a different part of the market?
0: That's right. Inertia is our worst enemy right now. People, you know, they they may they may not be happy with their service, but they they're just not suffering enough to to call and have somebody come out and take a day off of work. So, the fibervention campaign really gave us an opportunity to a, you know, highlight some of those pain points that they may not even realize they're putting up with on a daily basis and and reward our current customers to show our appreciation for them by giving them something back for their business and their referrals.
2: One of the things I, I guess I just I find surprising because I'm, a, you know, I'm a subscriber to Comcast with no other real choices. And um, I know Comcast is in your market and, you know, I seem to get hit with a bill increase every year. I, I guess I kind of wonder if you have people that are um, tend to switch more to you right after in that month after they get a bill increase.
0: I would, I you know, I don't have any stats to prove that, but I would say, yeah, it's, how much are you willing to take before you say, hey, I'm going to give these other guys a chance? And we hear over and over again, I'm never going back. I can't believe it took me this long to switch. Um, and the more customers we have, the more that message is getting spread, that, you know, we don't have surprise bills. Um, we do treat our customers with the utmost respect. Um, we're there 24-7. We'll come out for any reason. More people on the street um, saying that same thing. So it's, it's only helping us.
2: Can I ask what your favorite story of the three that have aired so far was?
0: Probably, Miss Martha. She was our first one. Um, I love them all, but Miss Martha um, is a senior citizen, and it's very difficult for senior citizens to change to something different. You know she she was re- she was recommended by a friend of hers at her church. She loved Facebook and she just she she was so welcoming to us after hearing some of her stories um, of the of the price increases that she had been through. And, and the difficulty she had sitting on hold with with her other provider. We felt like we were really doing her a service by helping her switch and getting her email set up and showing her how to use everything. And um, since then, she's been one of our biggest advocates, and, and we keep in touch with her regularly. She She's a good model for other senior citizens who don't have to be treated poorly. And um, we're looking at ways where we can maybe um use miss martha again because she's a, she's a huge fan of ours now
2: that's great I love those locally rooted campaigns and, and we've seen this in some other communities too um, you know the difference between how you're marketing your service and, and I think elevating the community versus what I saw one of the tactics on your Facebook page one of your commenters suggested that uh, one of your competitors was offering like a $500 visa card for those who switched back to them kind of thing um, you know I just it's really great to see these these marketing opportunities that really elevate the community rather than just trying to throw cash at people Temporarily.
0: I mean, I think at the end of the day, everybody wants to be treated fairly and with respect, and that's what we, we strive for every day.
2: Well, one of the things that, um, you know, you noted that EPB doesn't surprise the um, um, your customers with a bill increase. I mean, as I've been watching your internet services, you launched at 15 megabits. All your speeds were symmetrical, and the slowest you could get then was 15 megabits. You went to 30, then 50, now 100. Um, you've gone to the highest end to offering 10 gigabits, which is what we're going to talk about next. But... As I recall, the price has remained the same for Internet service throughout all of those speed increases. That's about six years now, isn't it? That's correct. Well, that's really incredible. Dana, did you want any comments around that?
3: As we learned how to manage our network, we realized that we could offer higher speeds, we could offer faster Internet, and didn't need to change the pricing. And so when when we had the opportunity to do that, we just kept doing it. That's really been one of the goals from the get-go with having this network in place is making a platform available for our community to innovate. And the way we see it, the more speed they have available to them, uh, the more opportunity they have to innovate. We, we certainly don't dictate what they do with it, would don't even, wouldn't ever dream of such. But um, if we can make it available, we want to, and that's what we've been doing for the past six years.
2: Great. And so we're going to talk now about the the 10 gigabit service. I'm going to I'm going to warn people that I want to talk with Coleman on a little bit higher technical level than we usually do. Um, and I think that'll be appreciated by our more technical audience. Um, you know, Coleman um, when the 10 gigabit was announced, I was, I was interested to see because I understand that, you know, one other community, Salisbury, North Carolina had announced that they were doing uh 10 gig, although they needed to do um, they need a little bit more time before they can make it available citywide because of the technological challenges now, as I understand it, you're doing 10 gig, um, but you don't have to switch out, you know, um, all of the technology uh, at the end user in order to do it. So, I'm I'm curious if you can dive right in and tell us about the technology behind getting 10 gig to residents.
4: Well, Chris, uh, as you know, when we launched, we we launched a, a GPON network, a gigabit passive optical network, and um, you know, we have been able to provide our business customers with higher levels of service using Ethernet based services and what we've launched now and really excited about is the next generation PON. So uh, what we're deploying is an NG PON2 or a, a TWDM PON. So we're the first uh, in the nation to launch that next generation PON network and basically gives us the capability today of doing 10 gigabits symmetrical to each customer that's in our network. And it plays well with our existing GPON network. So we actually can use the existing shells that we have, the, the OLTs, um, or at least the newer version of OLTs. We have three generations of OLTs in our network now, and just by replacing a, a line card and then replacing the ONT at the side of the house, so very little true work is done to actually deliver the 10 gigs to a customer um, today. You know the ONTs are a little expensive because there's not a lot of volume. Kind of as I mentioned, we were the first to launch this technology, but over time. The O&T prices will come down. We saw the same thing with the GPON network when we first launched it. So uh, we're very excited to be able to provide you know, this next generation architecture you know, to our customers so that all these smart people in our network can figure out ways to use this bandwidth that we're making available.
2: Now, as I understand it, there's competing uh, 10 gig standards, basically, and some of them would require uh, that you replace, um, well, let me take a step back and just note for people, um, the passive optical network, a lot of times what will happen is you basically have one fiber that runs into a splitter and then will serve something like, you know, in the high 20s or up to 32 customers. And um, some of the standards for the 10 gig service, as I understand it, would require you to replace the ONT the device at the customer's home, uh, in each one of those 32 houses. But your solution, you only have to replace the one from the subscribing customer, right?
4: You would change out the splitter. So they would be put on a, a different splitter that would be dedicated to the 10-gig services. So that would change. But we do that you know, whenever we launch a house. We always go in there and have to assign splitters out of our, our, our LCP cabinets where we locate our splitters. So um, that's part of the standard deployment process. So you dedicate a PON port at the OLT, which can serve up to 32 customers as a 10 gig uh, capable port, and then you change the ONT at the side of the house, but the wavelengths play well with the services, so you don't have to worry about anything happening on your feeder fibers or anything else that's leading down to your services. and there are competing standards, uh, ng pon 2 the TWDM, seems to be the one that's going to be leading in the marketplace, but there are some others that don't give you symmetrical capacity, and then other ones that use uh, just like wavelength, dimension multiplexing, uh, but it's very expensive, so that's probably a ways out before that one will be available in the
2: marketplace. One last question, which um, I, I, we run into a lot, which is this holy war between active and passive. And I'm curious because I think as far as uh, municipalities that are getting into this, EPB has more highly uh, trained engineers, people who are more familiar with this than many municipalities. Uh, municipalities will, um, in smaller communities will often have to rely more on consultant advice. Um, but what's your reaction when somebody says that that the only way to have good future um, upgrades ability is to have an active Ethernet type approach.
4: Active Ethernet can be more expensive to run. There are use cases where it makes sense, you know, specifically for some uh, higher end, you know, enterprise customers or something like that. But, you know, 10 gig capacity down to a customer is pretty high bandwidth, um, there are some limitations on the GPON, like on packet size and stuff like that. But for most customers, they're not going to run into those limitations. It's really your your special use customers that need an active service. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying that active doesn't have its place in the network because we we do run active services and we'll continue to do so. But for your the bulk of your customers, 90% of your base, a GPON system is is cheaper and easier to run.
2: Great. Well, thanks for the the technical explanation. I wanted to um, round out the show with something that I I think everyone's going to be excited about, which is this big grassroots movement. And um, Dana, I know um, you and I have talked about this in the past, but it seems like there's this uh, Tennessee for Fiber group that's uh, riding a bit of a wave as we see all kinds of enthusiasm for making sure the Tennessee state law supports uh, local choice. Uh, What's happening in Tennessee?
3: Chris, I'm glad you asked about that because it's a, it's a, it's a really important issue for our neighbors um, and, our, and, and folks all across the state of Tennessee. Um, for the last several years, we've had neighboring communities contact us at EPB and ask us to bring high-speed broadband to their communities. Um, we've got folks who are just outside our service territory who might have constituents who only have access to dial-up speeds. Um, we've heard stories about people who uh, have to take their – drive their kids 10 miles down the street to McDonald's to jump on the Wi-Fi so that the kids can download their, their homework assignments. Um, so there's still you – know, even though we've got the fastest internet in the world right here in Chattanooga, our neighbors are doing without – um, and so we've had neighboring communities ask us to help them, and uh, we've certainly looked into that, but what we found is that it's not, it's not an option until there's a small change to Tennessee state law. So Tennessee state law today does not allow us or other companies like EPB, and there are seven such communities in Tennessee. There are seven communities in, in this state that have fiber optic networks similar to ours so, But none of us, because of state law, can expand outside of our service territory to serve these neighboring communities that so desperately need to be connected with the rest of the world and the 21st century. So it, this, in the last, I'd say, year or so, there's been um, quite a bit of activity coming, in many cases, from the folks that live in these communities that don't have access. They're frustrated. They feel like they're being left out. We hear stories uh, about folks. One lady told me that she was at the closing for her house, um, and the the buyer asked, oh, by the way, who who supplies your Internet service? And when she told the buyer that she didn't have anything other than dial-up where she lived, the sale didn't go through. So these folks, you know, it's not just a matter of of experiencing some inconvenience. They really are struggling without access to connectivity. And we're encouraging them to get in touch with their legislators, we're encouraging them to uh, let their voices be heard, and we're encouraging folks in Tennessee who do have access to help stand up for those that don't. Um, We want to make sure that everybody in Tennessee has access to um, the tools and the knowledge that are available with, with 21st century communications technology. We're encouraging folks to get in touch with their legislators. We're expecting a bill to go in front of the Tennessee General Assembly when they go into session at the beginning of next year that would allow communities to make the choice to have uh, ETV fiber optics or one of the other six communities that offer fiber services. The the bill would allow us to expand and, and would allow our neighbors to choose um, to make the choices that they need to, to, to have the connectivity that their communities need to be able to, to compete and thrive in the 21st century.
2: Well, we know that we just had a big victory at the FCC, and I know that that's being appealed, and um, it's hard for any utility to commit to a significant investment while there's um, uh, you know, some doubt as to what the law will end up being. Uh, do you credit the FCC action with raising more awareness about this in Tennessee so that you could change it locally?
3: I do think that the, the 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 publicity around the FCC filing and the results of that did raise the awareness um, throughout the state and and hopefully throughout the country uh, of this issue. I also oh, think I definitely that there, think so. There are folks who have been going without for so long that it's finally getting to the place where they're realizing that something has to be done. So we're hearing a lot more from the folks who are actually. Without internet service right now than we have in years
2: past. Well, from what I can tell, the the grassroots surge is so great. I'm hoping that it will finally force an actual vote and get out of subcommittee. Um, in the past, I know the the powerful lobbyists have been able to lock it up. But the more attention we get on it, the, the more we can um, have a hope that it will get through. I wanted to end up with asking each of you, um, if you can think back to, you know, seven or eight years ago, I'm curious what, what has resulted from the fiber network, um, that has most either inspired you or surprised you in the community in terms of how it's helped Chattanooga. Um, and, and Beth, maybe I can start with you and put you on the spot if you don't mind.
0: I think for me, um, I wasn't working for EPB at the time, um, it was launched, um, so I was a you know I was a little bit outside the, the lines of it. But as a mother, I can tell you that I'm most excited about the opportunities that exists here in our community, in in the in the areas of STEM. Um, my daughter loves math, she loves science, and we have places here now like TechTown, where I can I can take her and give her resources that a lot of communities don't offer. So um, as a parent, I can say that the that the fiber optic network helps me be a better one.
2: Well, that's great, um, Coleman. What are your thoughts?
4: You know, it, it's very similar to what you know Beth just said. You know, basically, it's that the community has really embraced this architecture and has really leveraged it. Um, you know, we have a very vibrant, young, entrepreneurial community here, and the community is very you know open and accepting of that community. So. Um, you know, we're getting a young demographic that's coming and staying, and that is really exciting to me.
2: Great, and and Dana, what, what's your reaction?
3: And I couldn't agree more with with both Beth and Coleman's sentiments. One of the things it, it's it's difficult to quantify, uh, and I don't even know if it is quantifiable, but it's palpable. Is is this community's sense of optimism and confidence? Um, you know, we're. I think that having An accolade like fastest internet in the Western hemisphere makes people feel good about where they are. It makes them feel um, optimistic about where they're going. So to me, it it is probably more of a a qualitative sentiment, but, um, but I think it is very real.
2: Great. Well, well, thank you so much for, for your time today, and, and I think being an inspiration for so many communities, the fact that you've built such an impressive network and that you've done such an incredible job of making people aware of it. I know it's made my job easier here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance because everyone's heard about community broadband now.
3: Well, thanks for what you do, Chris. You do great work, and we appreciate yeah. y'all's partnership.
1: That was Beth Johnson, Marketing Manager, Dana Bailey, VP of Corporate Communications, and Coleman Keen, Director of Fiber Technology from Chattanooga's EPB Fiber Optics. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Community Nets. If you use Facebook, you can find us by searching for Community Broadband Networks. We want your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Thanks to Arnie Husby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. And thank you for listening to episode 175 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast.